We were treated this week at work. We uh, had an author come in to speak to us a little bit about his book. And I was quite interested by this because today we are looking, our title for today is The Identity of the Church. And of course each of us lives by a certain identity. Each of us has a certain identity, an identity by which we are known. The, the person we had in to speak to us was someone called James Kerr, who had access to the Maori All Blacks. And they had had a very difficult time playing rugby. They have the highest winning, they are the most successful team of all time. Uh, and that's All Blacks generally. They have a winning record of 82%. And over 90% of their games at home they have won. So this is a remarkable team, but they had a bad patch and they went right back to basics and decided what is it that makes us an all-black. So can we have that clip now? This is the author. Maori believe that the haka summons up our ancestors from the earth to stand beside us in battle through the sound of the earthquake. So I'm a boy from Haka Taramea in the south of the South Islands, about as far south as you can get in New Zealand. I recently had the privilege of going inside the All Blacks environment alongside photojournalist Nick Danziger to do a book called Mana. For me, Getting an invitation inside the All Blacks was the culmination of a childhood fantasy and an extraordinary chance to experience an extraordinary environment. I discovered that being the best in the world is about more than just technique. That rugby, like business and like life, is a game played primarily in the mind. In my new book, Legacy, I wanted to look at the question of what makes this team so successful? What is their competitive advantage? And what can it teach us about leadership? Central to their success is the phrase, better people make better all blacks. It's about character, and around it, they've built this extraordinary culture. And it works. It took the all blacks from a 75% winning record to an unbelievable 86% and a little gold cup. In my work, I see the power of values-led, purpose-driven storytelling every day. I learned a lot about the important things in life from, from this project, not least of it how fleeting it is. During the course of the project, I lost my grandmother, and then my father, and then I lost a big part of the city of my childhood, Christchurch, to an earthquake. The sound of the haka is the sound of the earthquake. It summons up the spirit of our ancestors to stand beside us in our struggle here on earth. The sun shines for just a brief moment on this, our time. It's our job to represent all those who have come before us and all those who will come after us as Jonas Salk said, to be a good ancestor, or as the All Blacks would put it, to lead our journey in a better place.
Legacy is all about finding that shared purpose, finding a meaning beyond profit. It just captures the essence of leadership so absolutely. It's very relaxed and genuine and honest and, and natural, and that's what's very special about it. It's just a nice reminder to try and be the best you can be in whatever professional walk of life that fascinates you, that's your, your personal interest. I can't wait to give this book to people I work with. I think they are going to be inspired by it. I think they're going to be wanting to give it to other people as well. If better people make better All Blacks, they also make better doctors and lawyers, better fathers, mothers, brothers and friends. This is our legacy. And this is our time. I mean, that was obviously selling his, his book. And he has some remarkable stories. The All Blacks, they, they say better people make better All Blacks. But it's, their motto is leaving the shirt in a better place. So whoever takes that shirt on has to leave it in a better place than when they picked it up. Uh, and if you go into uh, an all-black dressing room, even at the end of the game, you'll never see a shirt on the floor. Because they say the shirt deserves more respect, and so they always hang them up. Uh, and even after the World Cup final, when they won, the team left for their celebration. Three were left behind, including um, Richie McGraw uh, and Sean Fitzpatrick, two greats of the game. Why? because they were sweeping up the changing room. Because you have to leave the changing room in a better place than when you arrived. And that was their, their sort of ethos. Of course, it was all about winning. It was all about being who they were because of what had come before. Now, I use that clip, uh, and it's obviously, it's a secular clip, it's a secular book, it's about leadership and management, and it's a really good book. I have actually read it, so I, I can say that. It is a good book. But is that what we as Christians are called to be? What is our identity? The England football team, um, over the last sort of month or so, has actually earned some pundits and some brownie points. It's even reached the point on social media now uh, that there are a whole series of posts which start Gareth Southgate would dot dot dot. It's a bit like what would Jesus do, the bracelets. But Gareth Southgate would. And then there's a whole sort of series of suggestions thereafter. Why have we done that? Because we look at Gareth Southgate and we think he's a really good guy. He's humble. He's a team builder. He's personable. He's honest. He's vulnerable. And we like that. And interestingly, and I use the examples in that order, because we asked James Kerr uh, rather flippantly uh, in the question time, do you think Gareth Southgate's read your book? And he says, yes, I know he has, because my colleague has gone with my book to train the England team. So that was, a, it was an interesting link. So they've put aside, and let's be honest, over the last two games, they proved that they were not the best footballing individuals in the world. But they were a great team, which is an interesting take. They became a team together. 
So I just leave that to you, for you to think about for a moment. And now we're going to turn to our readings. Our first reading this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 15, which is on page 990 of your Bibles. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we've just read that we are your special possession. The special possession of God. We pray that in this few minutes that you would touch us again, that we may know your love for us. We may experience that specialness that we may be your special possession and that we may understand what that means for each one of us. In your name. Amen. 
Well, as we've already said, we're looking this morning at the church and its identity. We've been looking at different aspects of the church. And you remember that Kia last week uh, spoke about us being a community. Uh, And each community has its identity. Uh, And we've looked at a couple of identities already, haven't we? That uh, All Blacks example, the common purpose of leaving the shirt in a better place, the England team and their fans... Uh, combining humility and teamwork to progress probably past where they really should have done. But are they really examples and illustrations of what this passage is talking about or not? Are they just the pale imitation? Let me use a different one. Uh, I don't know if you've um, caught any of those uh, programmes on TV, Who Do You Really Think I Am? or Who Do You Think I Am? Uh, and this week, I think it was Olivia Coleman. Now, I really like Olivia Coleman. Sadly, I haven't seen this episode yet, so I will look at it on catch-up. Uh, and doubtless someone afterwards will tell me whether that will be worthwhile or not. Uh, but it will be, yes. Uh, I think Olivia Coleman is really... She's fascinating. She's very engaging as an individual. Uh, but the programme goes through their ancestry as if to say your identity is because of where you've come from. And what has happened uh, to your ancestors and the point before? You are the heritage of what has come before. Or are we just that? Question mark. Turning to Peter, page 1218, and actually 1217 we'll look at as as well. Peter's writing here to uh, a group of, of people, principally the Jewish, uh, population who do not actually live in Israel. Most of the areas that he's talking about are in sort of modern-day Turkey and, and surroundings. They're probably uh, partly uh, some of the descendants from the dispersion during the exile uh, and Babylonia, uh, and possibly some who have started congregations following Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So we're not quite sure who these people are, but predominantly they would be Jews, uh, with a few Gentiles doubtless thrown in as well. Interestingly, therefore, they are people that have not seen Jesus. They do not live in the homeland. But they've heard about him, and they believe in his message. They're working towards the goal of their faith, the salvation of their souls. That's 1 Peter 1. Uh, verses 8 and 9, just on the previous page. In verse 16, it says, Be holy because I am holy. They are being brought together as a holy people. So they were, in many ways, just like us. They had their belief and their faith, but they couldn't be numbered with those that had actually met uh, Jesus for themselves. And so they were in desperate need of knowing what was their identity, what held them together. And this is a fundamental change in their outlook, because again, if we look in 1 Peter 1, so chapter 1, verse 18, it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Now the interesting bit there is, it you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. So despite the fact they had a heritage and an ancestry, 
that was perceived to them to be an empty way of life. An empty way of life that is now clearly filled with something entirely different. This for them was a fundamental change. And the turning point is then the beginning of chapter 2, which is why um, Clive very kindly started us at verse 4. Because the turning point is the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The stumbling block upon which decisions are made. And it's, it's curious for us to consider Jesus a stumbling block. But if you do not believe in him, over that same name, that same person, you will stumble. Your relationship with God is either founded on Christ or it fails on Christ. Because you reject him. So far from their life being a reflection of their ancestors, the follower of Christ is a new creation and is responsible to a completely new authority. So we reach verses 9 and 10, which is what we're really uh, looking at this morning. And there are some key phrases here that just blew my socks off this week, I have to say. We are a chosen people. Now, do you remember what it was like at school when you were all lined up in the playground and you were choosing your teams? And you were desperate not to be the last one to be chosen. We want to be important. We want to be chosen. I, I happen to go into a variety of dress shops, uh, not on my own normally. Um, and when I go in, uh, I am led to a particular dress, and it's fantastic, it's lovely. But do we stop there? No, we do not stop there. <laughs> we look at every single dress in that dress shop. Because it has to be the right shape, the right size, the right material, the right colour, the right length, the right hue, the right... Do you know what I mean? It has to be... I'm not looking at Marion. You don't know who I go shopping with. It has to be right, doesn't it? This is really important. We're making a choice. And unless it's not right, we're not going to get it. We are a chosen people. Chosen by God. If someone here had been singled out and been given a ticket for the royal wedding, you would have felt so special. Because you, in all the people in this country, the world, had been chosen. You had been chosen. And we are all chosen by the living God. Wow. Wow. Isn't that special? Is it just me? But we're chosen to be something. As it said in chapter 1, we're moving away from our inheritance to a new beginning. We're called to be a priesthood. Now, if you'd have asked Kia this question last week, she would have probably said, you are called to the priesthood. You are called to be separate. You are called to something, to do something, to be something, because you are a priest. You are being called out 
to be a priest. But let's see this again in its context. Verse 9 starts, but you. Peter is not talking to one person. This is a letter that is being read to the church. So you, you all here this morning are priests in the name of Christ. We are all part of the priesthood. And what's more, it is a royal priesthood. Royal because we relate to the person and role of Christ our King. The ultimate setting apart. We are not just attending the royal wedding. We're the ones, in effect, getting married. We're joining the royal family. And this is the royal family of God. And if that's not good enough, the passage then goes on a little more. We are to be a holy nation. Again, we're now back to that feeling of community. Because we're one, we have the same creed, we have the same beliefs. And being holy, again, means that setting apart in order that we are the special possession. That's the culmination of all of this, the special possession of God. So let's look at that. If we've got that on the one hand, let's look at our examples on the other To be an all-black, you're part of an elite team. You're chosen and you're set apart, but only because you had a gift that they want to exploit. You were not changed by being chosen. You were chosen because of what you already were. The English football fans, perhaps, they were praising and singing way after the final whistle when they'd been knocked out. They all had the same outlook, the same ethos, the same sense of pride. But they had not been chosen. They had not been called out. They were large, to a large extent anyway, they were in it for what they could get out of it. What about Olivia Coleman? Born to a particular race and nation. Again, not chosen but unalterably linked to a certain view, a certain patriotism. But did that make her what she was? I then thought possibly the closest I could get is the divers that um, were going into that uh, cave in Thailand. Because they were chosen, because they were special. They were called out. They became a group. They were humble and they served. They were challenged in their views, emotionally and I suspect spiritually. But even so, they were challenged and changed from the outside in. The gift of life was, in many ways, theirs to give and not to receive. So even that is not an illustration which is perfect. And why can't we find a perfect illustration? 
And I have struggled all week with different ways of saying the same thing. And it's because Christ is unique. There is only one God. There is only one gift of life. And amazingly, he in a sense gives it to us twice. Once when we're born physically, and then once when we're born spiritually. It is for him to give the gift of life. We simply receive it. Despite what we are, we're not chosen because of what we are. It's despite what we are that we are chosen. It's despite what we are that we are called. But because we are called, we are collected. So we are chosen, we're called, and we're collected together. And that's why in verse 10 it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once these people were not in Israel, they were not known as the people of God, the nation of Israel. But now they were. Even you Gentiles, you're not even Jews. But you can call yourself part of the chosen people because God has chosen, God has called, and God has collected you together. They could now form a nation just as we form a holy nation together. We have brothers and sisters all over the world, even at this instant, meeting to honour God. We are God's people because we accept his person. And that's why we had, uh, I very, only very lately, and I apologise to Rosie, just before the service started, I asked her to read that passage from Matthew 22. Why? Because Jesus held up a denarius and said, look at the face on this coin. Who is it? And the answer, of course, was Caesar. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God. The point being, what is the image on the coin? We are each chosen, called, collected by God. We are marked indelibly with the mark of Christ. The image on your coin is of God. We are therefore called to live out our identity. We're marked with Christ. Christ goes with us. We are the logo of Christ. And what I forgot to do earlier, I had loads of caricatures and logos and I was going to get you to, to quiz them. So apologies. Having uploaded it, Charlie, I forgot to ask you to do it. It's going well today. <laughs> but what is our logo? Because we started by saying Gareth Southgate would dot dot dot. That, that is completely wrong, isn't it? It's not Gareth Southgate would or David Peters would dot dot dot. It's what would David Peters do because dot dot dot. And it's because I have the identity of Christ, because I am marked by Christ, because I am a follower of Christ, what would I do? In the boardroom, at the school gate, 
in the queue at Sainsbury's, on the motorway, when someone is in front of me, what would David Peters do because he is marked by Christ? What would we all do because our identity is in Christ? And we live out that calling every single day. How will your identity affect your tomorrow? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have chosen us, you've called us, and you've collected us this morning. Thank you for drawing us here, for marking us with your stamp. We are your people. And help us, therefore, to live out your ways to your glory. So help us, God, in your name. Amen.